Welcome to the Ontolog Forum, September 25th, 2008 meeting. This is the Emerging Ontology Showcase uh, first session. This is the uh, kickoff meeting for this showcase. So I think we'll begin the meeting with a round of introductions. I think we have a small enough group today. I'll begin. I am Professor Ken Butzlowski at Northeastern University College of Computer and Information Science. My uh, academic interest is ontology-based computing and, of course, that issues such as the semantic web. Mike Bennett. Hi, my name is Mike Bennett. Uh, I'm based in London. Um, the company is called Hypercube and uh, I work in the financial sector um, working specifically on uh, capturing and managing business semantics and as such, I've been using semantic uh, web technologies um, uh, for a while, and I'll be presenting later, so that's me. Oh, great. Mike Bergman? Oh, this is Mike Bergman. I'm in uh, Iowa City, Iowa, editor of the Umbel Ontology, which we will be discussing. Uh, at okay. Uh, Peter Yim? Hi. I'm Peter Yim from CIM3. What I do for a living is to host distributed collaboration through our product called Collaborative Work Environments, uh, which is essentially what the ontolog community is running on. But my passion is actually to help get ontology, ontological engineering, and semantic technologies into the mainstream. And as such, Leo Oberth, Kurt Conrad, and I are sort of co-conveners of the ontolog forum back in year 2002, and I'm really happy that we've built it out to uh, a fairly formidable community of practice. Bob Green? Hi, this is Bob Green. I'm with the Department of the Navy. I'm working uh, a number of data strategy issues. Uh, lately, I've been most involved in uh, trying to implement a uh, merit uh, Awareness of the, the maritime domain, which is uh, interoperability or data sharing, information sharing between um, data producers and data consumers that deal with maritime information, information about the ports and, and shipping and cargo and, uh, and crews. So I'm interested in any kind of uh, uh, network-centric related technologies that will help us to, to implement this more quickly and, and more uh, reasonably. Thank you. Kurt Conrad? Uh, yeah, this is Kurt Conrad. I'm a consultant in the uh, Silicon Valley area. Okay. Brand Neiman? Uh, uh, hi. Uh, Brand Neiman uh, with SAIC. I'm focused on a number of data-related issues, data management, knowledge management, uh, SOA, and ontologies. Kathy Johnson-Troop? Yeah, this is Kathy Johnson-Troop at NASA. Um, I'm in the life sciences arena, and we're looking at ontologies as support for search and knowledge management. Doug Holmes? I'm Doug Holmes, uh, uh, in Java Professionals in uh, Southern California. Uh, my interest is uh, applications and, and practical things for the semantic web. Shangguang Jennings? Yep. Um, now, this is Shangwan Jingye, and I am a new PhD student here at the Tafelis Ward Constellation Group in RPI and working with Professor Jim Hengler and Professor Abra McGuinness. I'm 
broadly speaking, I'm interested in finance and web technologies, and right now I focus my research on uh, collaborative open policy repositories. Thank you. Uh, Bill McCarthy? Uh, Bill McCarthy, I'm a professor of accounting at Michigan State University in East Lansing. Um, I work with accounting ontologies in standards like ISO and UNC FACT. Sven Van Poop. Yes, that's right. Hello, I'm Sven Van Poop. I'm an anesthesiologist or anesthetist um, living and working in Belgium, and I'm mainly interested in data management related to chronic wounds or imaging of chronic wounds. And we have we also have a community of practice. Uh, you can find it on www.woundontology.com. Thank you, Annalie Gomez. I work for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia, which is a federal public health agency involved in disease prevention, control, and surveillance. And I work on ontologies related to decision support services uh, centering on medical records uh, surveillance. Ravi Sharma? Uh, yes, uh, I'm Ravi. I'm uh, by training a physicist, nuclear and space, and later in my life, image processing. Uh, and for last 20 odd years, uh, believe it or not, I'm working in IT as enterprise architect and systems architect for NASA, uh, HUD, and other agencies. Have some statistics background. I am right now between jobs, searching for a new position, which hopefully would get either federal space with ontology work or um, financial engineering or such space where I can use uh, a spirit kindled by Peter, uh, John, and others in ontology forum uh, to pursue ontology work. Uh, particularly, I have been trying to think a little bit about open ontology repositories, but the long-term interests lie in defining relationships and types of relationships among objects that form basis for all ontology. Thank you. Antoinette Arsic, are you? Yes, I'm, I'm still here. I'm okay. with um, SGIS, um, sub to SAIC for the uh, information extraction program um, for the CIA and working mostly with natural language processing and um, also with the um, Catalyst Council that's helping them um, collect different ontologies right now. Oh, thank you. Uh, anyone else? This is Susan Turnbull at uh, GSA and Department of Energy Office of Science. Okay, I guess we're finished with the introductions now. Um, if you go to the first set of slides, zero-chair, okay, this is the Converging Ontology Showcase, uh, going to slide two. Uh, the motivation behind this showcase is that uh, there are a lot of ontologies out there. Um, Swoogle reports over 10,000 ontologies, and during the Ontology Summit 2007 survey, we determined that there was a very large diversity of communities as well as purposes for ontologies. This highlighted the need for better communication about these um, emerging ontologies, and it was suggested that we have a venue for presenting them. 
this, uh, the hope is that this would allow for cross-fertilization in these diverse communities so that ontologies developed within one community would then be uh, usable and, uh, you know, could be transferred to other communities. Uh, moving to slide three, uh, what I did there was actually just uh, summarize some of the communities from the uh, uh, Ontology Summit 2007. Um, there were communities from a variety of software engineering communities. There were scientific and biomedical communities, uh, standards development, um, a large number of business, commercial, industrial uh, communities. Um, in addition, we also got the uh, uh, more academic type communities such as linguistics and um, then in um, we also of course have web 2.0 and now I guess web 3.0 communities the um, if you go to the uh, ontology summit 2007 page you could see more information about the kinds of communities that were represented there and certainly the number of communities involved in ontologies have increased since then we also uncovered a large number of purposes for ontologies, and I just transcluded the uh, slide from the Ontology Summit 2007 that listed the um, just such a variety of different reasons why people use ontologies. So um, given all of this survey information, we developed some criteria for this showcase. First of all, we would like to see emerging ontologies, where uh, that means that it's either a new ontology or a major new release of an ontology, and new in this case means within the last six months. In addition, the emphasis is on the ontology, not on data or tools associated with the ontology. Um, the reason for this is that there will be other uh, series and showcases that will be uh, emphasizing those aspects of uh, ontologies, and uh, so this particular showcase should is intended just to emphasize the ontology itself. Um, any ontologies that are in the standards process um, are especially welcome. And if anyone, and in addition, if anyone here is uh, developing an ontology or about to release an ontology, would like to present in this showcase, I would encourage you to get in touch with us. To, uh, to arrange for us to uh, get you in one of these sessions. The plan is to have two or three ontologies at each session uh, and to arrange for the ontologies as the ontologies emerge. Uh, now, in this kickoff meeting, the intention was to have three, but as I mentioned earlier, Martin Hepp was unable to uh, give his presentation, and uh, it will be uh, rescheduled for a later meeting. That's on uh, slide number six. This is them. And uh, in the last slide, uh, just with the organizing committee, uh, myself and Mike Bennett are co-champions, and uh, Leo Oberst, Kurt Conrad, and Peter Yim uh, are also assisting. So now I'd like to move to the first emerging ontology. Yes, Mike Bennett. So. Hi. Right. Thanks, Ken. Um, right. So I'm first up with this uh, ontology showcase. So uh, bear with me. 
Yes. Okay, this is the um, EDM Council Semantics Repository. So if we go to uh, slide uh, two, I'll just summarise uh, what I'm going to cover in this. As Ken says, we're not focusing so much on the technology, but rather on the content. But I'll give some background to the way I've structured this in order to make some sense of, of what you'll be seeing. So I'll go through what were the requirements from the EDM Council for what's supposed to be in this ontology, what we did to meet those requirements, and then we'll look at a couple of screenshots of the repository itself, uh, and then go on to look at some of the considerations of the upper ontology and how we could possibly link that into other things that are going on. And then I'll summarize the, the principles that, that we've followed to create this and look at um, what we're going to be doing going forward. So on slide three, the Enterprise Data Management Council is an industry body um, working within the financial industry, and it's a, a non-profit trade association that's uh, focused on managing and leveraging enterprise data as a strategic asset. Um, so it's, it's basically making a shift from data as an IT exercise to uh, data as information as an actual business asset, um, in particular focusing on things like data quality management and um, uh, integration challenges and so on. So uh, the Enterprise Data Management Council is uh, focusing on all these issues and a common theme that was coming up in a number of early sessions at the council was the importance of dealing with business meanings rather than data efforts. So, you know, there have been some previous efforts within the standards world to create uh, standards at a message level or at a logical model level, and what the industry really wanted and that the uh, stakeholders of the Enterprise Data Management Council were asking for was what they really want to do is standardize on, on, terms, uh, on meanings of terms uh, get a single consensus set of terms across the industry that everybody could agree on the meaning of this term versus that term and so on, and the recognition that the, uh, the data-centered uh, effort hadn't really covered that. So what they wanted was the consistent terminology. Um, the, the, the driver for this was the, the, the problem when you have different systems to integrate together or uh, communication across the supply chain, for example, where a term in one database or another message schema would be um, not necessarily mapped directly to, to something in another one and how to map all those terms together. So that's a, a big sort of business driver for this. So what they, what they needed was a standard agreed set of terms which focuses on the meanings of things rather than the usual circular arguments about what the meaning of a word is that, that tends to otherwise happen. Um, so the focus on all this is really putting the business in control of, of data um, in order to own the data semantics. So that was the, the driver behind the project. Uh, if we go on to slide four, the way I've approached this, the EDM Council um, hired me to put together a semantics repository um, to, to create this uh, resource of standardized terms and definitions uh, and to make sure it was a meaningful resource. So I've approached this from the point of view of the software engineering discipline of requirements management, which some of you may be familiar with, and I know some people won't be familiar with, which is that when you do a software development project, the business starts off by defining what something should do, 
usually in a formal specification or a requirements catalogue or some such thing. And the, the business ownership of requirements is that they should be complete and consistent, they should be specified in a way that's technology neutral, and they should be specified in a way that the business stakeholders can actually review and, and sign off or uh, alter. And as the real world itself changes, of course, new requirements come up and things need to be maintainable, which means having those requirements in some central resource. Now, that's all the basic um, science of requirements management. And business semantics is effectively in that same space. Just as you specify what an application should do, so you also want the business to be able to specify what the meaning of data terms should be before somebody goes off and designs a database scheme or a, a message schema or anything like that. So the requirements for re requirements are also the requirements for business semantics. Uh, in that way, business is in control of what goes into data uh, and not technology. So those are the principles we followed. The challenge was how to achieve that. So if we go on to slide five, what we wanted was something that was expressive enough to capture real meaning of real things but at the same time we wanted something that business stakeholders could review and own so how were we going to do that what we decided to do was use the the web ontology language called owl which i think most people are familiar with um, because it has the expressive power to be able to capture real business meanings in a way that technology languages like um, uml for example um, and various database languages don't have the expressive power to really capture everything about real things. But the problem with OWL was that at the moment most of the tools don't really give you the kind of view that you can put in front of a business stakeholder such as a fund manager or somebody responsible for transactions processing and say, does this show a view of your world? So we wanted to use the expressive power of OWL but adapt it into plain English. So what we've done is we've basically renamed the, the technical sounding OWL terms into plain English terms um, in which everything is either a thing or a fact about a thing. And those facts are basically OWL object properties and OWL data type properties. But we don't need to expose those um, technical sounding words to the business community because then they don't really feel that they can be in control of, of what they're looking at. Um, we also added the idea of a synonym, which is something that every business person understands, but which Al doesn't explicitly have, because um, you're intended to use a, a, a tag called RDFS label, which, again, isn't very meaningful in business terms. So we've adapted Al to give you things and facts about things, uh, and then in order that business stakeholders can review and validate that we're presenting a, a, a true view of their world, We've output those into the kind of formats that business people are traditionally comfortable working with, which are spreadsheets and simple Visio-style block diagrams. So the spreadsheets, instead of structuring them in some arbitrary way, we generate uh, spreadsheets out of this um, system, but the column structure of the spreadsheets basically corresponds to various features of the OWL language. And similarly, we have simple block diagrams which show things and the relationships between those things. We also output some more complex diagrams, and we'll see a couple of those uh, as we go through some of the screenshots and things. So that's what we've done. We've taken OWL, adapted it into English, and output into uh, business consumable formats. So on slide six, 
Um, I'm going to take a, a look at a few screenshots of what's in the semantics repository itself. So, um, just to summarise what's in there, again, in line with classic requirements management theory, we don't start off with something which we claim is complete because we want to use this as a tool to put in front of business stakeholders and say, is this a full view of your world, what's missing, uh, what's in the wrong place, and so on. So we started off by reverse engineering a number of terms from some of the pre-existing but more technical industry standards. In particular, there's an ISO standard. Um, it was going to be ISO 19312, but it's now been included into another standard called ISO 20022 which is a, a messaging standard, uh, and this becomes the um, securities data model for that messaging. So we've reverse engineered some of the terms from the ISO securities data model. We've also done some work using some of the terms from the derivative standard, FPML. Um, we've not directly reverse engineered those, but we've used some of those, um, and a couple of other standards, the market data definition language, which is an XML standard, and so on. So we've basically tried to capture the knowledge that's previously been captured in these technical exercises and try and reverse engineer it into a meaningful world of things and facts. Um, some of that in this initial draft is still a little bit designy. There's still a few things that maybe the definitions might be too technical or some of the things might be not in a meaningful place but in a, uh, a design place because some of the knowledge about why something was in this place and not that place uh, is not been well preserved by some of those uh, standardization efforts. So it's a set of reverse engineered existing terms and a few other terms as well that have made sense to be added. Um, we've arranged the intersections, and I'll show you this on the screenshot. So we've, we've defined a number of different uh, financial instrument classes or securities classes such as debt, equity, derivatives, and so on and also separate sections for the different kinds of components of securities like contractual terms, issuance terms, and so on. So all the building blocks that um, securities information is made from. Um, and we've also got various sections for things like items that change over time, which tend to catch out some of the business um, reviewers. Uh, and we've also got an upper ontology, but given that this is a, a model to put in front of business users uh, in the financial securities world, we put it at the bottom, not the top, because otherwise people might think it's the first thing they're meant to look at, uh, and we've called it global terms. So again, we're using plain English rather than um, words from either ontology science or computer science, because you know we want this to be a plain English repository of the meaningful terms that are used in the financial industry. So slide seven. Here's a quick screenshot. Uh, I'll take you through a few of these screenshots. Um, and uh, if anybody wants to, to look through it in more detail, we can we can do that uh, online at some point. But this is the the basic interface that you get. It's a web-based interface. Um, I should add that underneath all this, uh, we're not going to look at the technology in detail. But underneath this is a a, a modelling tool uh, using a language called UML, which is the um, um, computer modelling language for for uh, design and development and stuff. Um, and so we've output the diagrams and things from that into a, a, a web format, which um, is up on, on the web. So uh, within this um, thing, you've got a main panel with the uh, diagrams or tables in it, 
and you've got a, a navigation menu on the left hand side and just have a quick look at what's there um, it shows you what the content is you've got um, financial instruments at the top of the tree and this tree expands and collapses um, to show you the views of stuff um, so the very top financial instruments brings you into the section that you're seeing on this screenshot where you have a spreadsheet, a diagram, some notes and so on and here we're seeing the diagram view um, of the top level of the thing so I've just highlighted a small corner of the diagram You'll, if you notice the scroll bars you can see we're in a, a corner of a, a larger diagram and that's the case with most of these um, showing the, uh, the, the, the taxonomic hierarchy of, of some financial instruments and I'll just talk through that in, in a second but on the left hand side you've then got common types of instrument or common terms for instruments then you've got equities, debt, rights and so on, various instrument classes and below that you've got the components then the dated terms, the terms that vary over time and a few uh, process things uh, and some, some basic types like basic selection lists and so on and then below that you'll notice I've got a whole list of things called global terms which I've expanded the menu there which we'll come back to, that's our upper ontology so um, just to look at the diagram itself uh, this is just a part of a hierarchical um, taxonomy and there's a hierarchical uh, structure of financial instruments and the way we normally explain this taxonomy, it's you know like any taxonomy, it's uh, if you consider the taxonomy of species, you've got animals, vertebrates, mammals, uh, felix, cat. You know you've got the different you know, phylas, phyla and genera and so on, each of which inherits uh, characteristics of the things above it. So um, that creates a, a hierarchical view. And here we have um, the equity instrument section. So you've got uh, all equity instruments below that you've got shares units limited partnership units and then below share you've got the different kinds of shares ordinary share preferred share and so on these are all uh, defined in another ISO standard called ISO 10962 which is known as the classification of financial instruments um, and you might notice one difference between this and um, most technical classification systems we do make use of multiple inheritance so, in fact, if we go on to the next slide, I'll show you some of the features of what's on this diagram, slide 8. Okay, so same diagram. Um, I've just highlighted some of the, um, the items that are here. So, each box here is a thing, and that's the thing in the, the sense that it's used in OWL and the sense in the dictionary, of course. It's a kind of thing, and in fact, if we were to explore all the way up the hierarchy, we would end up at the class called thing and I'll show you some more of that a little bit later so the boxes of things um, there's a is a relationship this looks very much like the relationship you'd get in a, um, a modeling environment and the reason for that is that although it is that it is language independent um, it's the same relationship whether you're using UML or OWL or not using any language at all it shows that the thing at the bottom of that relationship is a kind of the thing at the top of that relationship then um, the blue lines here showing relationships between classes of thing these are in our terms these are object properties but we refer to these in plain English as relationship facts so the, in fact there are two kinds of facts in the model there are simple facts which refer to things like date or text or yes no answers and things like that and there are relationship facts which always relate to another kind of thing which is also a thing in the, the hierarchy of this model um, what I should mention now is that this hierarchy shows the financial instruments but everything else in the model also falls under a hierarchy of some sort 
So contractual terms, for example, uh, there's a whole hierarchy of kinds of contractual term which form the terms in a contract and so on. And these all relate upwards to the class of, of all things. And I'll mention a little bit more about the upper ontology in a moment. Um, so that's, that's the basic uh, uh, layout of the kind of uh, diagram we're using and the kind of thing that's being shown in this. Um, if we go on to slide uh, 9, I'll show a little section of uh, the other kind of view. I mentioned that we output things as spreadsheets and as simple block diagrams, um, plus the more complex diagrams for those that are um, happy to look at them. So here's an example from the equity section. The red arrows aren't part of the model. They're just showing where we are um, from the point of view of, these slides, of this slideshow. So um, on the top there, you've, on top of each section, you've got terms, spreadsheets, diagrams, etc. The spreadsheet and the terms are the same. The terms are simply a, an HTML table showing the exact content of the spreadsheet. Um, the spreadsheet allows people to, to scroll through things. They can download and uh, submit comments to us and so on so that we can... Um, you know, get an up-to-date uh, look at uh, people's views on things. Um, so this, um, there's two views in the spreadsheets. There's a basic view which is just has term, definition and synonym and nothing else. And that allows people who are happy just thinking in words to put in uh, or, or, or correct or agree upon the, 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 the formal written definition of that term. So every term actually has two different ways of, of defining its meaning. It has its position in the um, taxonomy and the facts about it in the ontology that define um, its meaning in relation to everything else and then it has a written human readable definition independent of that which will be reviewed and signed off by the, the, the different business um, communities uh, so you know equity experts, debt experts and so on as we go through and what we intend to do is actually go through these and get uh, industry consensus on the meaning and definition of each of these terms and then sign them off as being uh, part of an agreed consensus view of the terms in the financial in, uh, industry. So this version of the spreadsheet, uh, the, f the full table version, shows the kind of term that everything is. And those of you that know AL will probably notice that the names of these term types are in English natural language equivalents of uh, different features of OWL. So a simple fact is an OWL data type property. A relation in fact is an OWL object property um, and a thing is an OWL class which is also a thing anyway. So we highlight the type of feature there. So we've created a structured spreadsheet which reflects the structure of OWL and in fact even without looking at the diagrams all the structure of the model is in these spreadsheets. Now the um, further along in the spreadsheet uh, which I haven't put on this screenshot is the, um, in our terms, the, the range of the property. In other words, what kind of thing that property is. So a simple fact, which is a, a data type property, has a range such as whole number, text, yes, no, and so on. Again, we're not using technical data types here, but they can map to technical data types. And in our, they would map to the, um, the basic XML simple data types. But we rename everything in plain English with spaces in the names, with nothing that suggests that you're looking at a technical language because we want business users to really know that what they're seeing is a view of their world. Uh, and then, likewise, you've got the ranges of the um, object properties, which are another kind of thing. So those are the, the two basic views that we create from this. Uh, we also do a more detailed view, which shows the simple facts and the relationship facts. 
and the relationships among those relationship facts um, so that one has a, a graphical view that shows all the meaning as well. So if we go on to slide 10, just to recap what we've seen so far, we've defined that financial securities, for example, are a kind of thing uh, in the same terms as you would refer to them in AL. But instead of doing what um, you might see in some ontologies, say you look at pizza ontology and pizza is a kind of thing and topping is a kind of thing, we've actually uh, defined as many parent classes as possible of what kind of thing something is. So in fact, a financial security is a kind of contract. Um, and there are actually two kinds of uh, financial securities. There's over-the-counter uh, securities, which are something like a, a swap transaction, which are normally negotiated by telephone or fax, and which are an agreement between two people. But that agreement is itself contractually binding and embodies a contract. And then there are financial securities that can be bought and sold on uh, exchanges or other trading venues, or bought and sold over-the-counter, for that matter, but which are a, uh, a contract between the issuer and the anonymous holder who can transfer the, the rights and obligations in that contract. So in every case, the financial security is a contract, um, and that's a, a parent thing of it, which is shown in the, the more detailed diagrams. Similarly, all the components, I mentioned that every, everything that's uh, at the other end of a relationship is also a, um, a kind of thing. So contractual terms, like, for example, uh, dividend payment terms for a preferred share, which are a kind of contractual terms. Uh, so are coupon payments for uh, a, a debt instrument like a bond. Um, so are the settlement terms for an instrument and so on. All different kinds of terms all come under the general heading of contractual terms, which are another kind of contractual thing and so on. Similarly, issued equity is a kind of, a kind of monetary amount. It's an actual amount of money um, which... It forms part of the equity issued in a company, and that's its real-world meaning. But it also features in the definition of an equity instrument, because that instrument confers ownership of an amount of that equity to the holder of the instrument. So all the components in the model uh, have parent classes like that. Um, and then what we've done is that virtually everything that we have in our financial industry is really a specialised version of something in the wide world as a whole that's nothing to do with the financial industry. So contracts, terms, capital, debt itself, and also interesting things like the parties. So the, the issuer, the holder of a contract, um, the different counterparties in a derivatives transaction, uh, underwriters in a, in a, um, a, a debt uh, issue, for example, are all parties, and that's a wider kind of thing as well. So uh, let's look at the example of a contract. I mentioned that uh, contracts are the kind of thing which all financial securities are descended from. So if we advance to slide 11, and this now shows the slightly more complex view. It's not quite the Visio uh, boxes and lines simplicity that one might put in front of a business uh, stakeholder, because this would probably scare them. But it does have all the uh, detail of the kind of thing that something is. So on this slide, again, the red arrows are showing you where to find uh, the thing that you're seeing here. So here we are in the global terms uh, area of the model, which is the upper ontology. And um, in each of these uh, sets of global terms, you see I've got time, geographical, mathematical, and so on. In each of these, as well as a basic set of, of classes of thing that exist in that part of the world, 
we've got a number of extended um, diagrams focusing on one particular topic. So here we're actually seeing the extended diagram for contract. Uh, this is just a part of the diagram, and just to show you some of the features, you'll see that some are off the screen. Um, those include the issuer of the contract, uh, no, sorry, the parties to a contract, uh, the principal and counterparty, and the jurisdiction that it falls under. And then in the part you can see, you've got that a contract mandates certain obligations and confers certain rights between the two parties that are party to that contract. Um, it has a set of contract terms which you'll notice are a kind of set and then those contract terms there are terms that confer rights there are non-binding terms um, and so on and then under contract you've got various kinds of contracts uh, written um, bilateral contracts between two parties uh, transferable contracts where one party can transfer their rights and obligations to someone else by selling that contract which is what a financial instrument is so this gives you uh, just a snapshot, a little view of um, the kind of high-level models that we have in this upper ontology area. Um, and at the moment, we've simply set out the basic things that we know exist in, in the world that's of interest to us and that we want to um, specialise to create our financial industry terms. So uh, you'll notice as well that um, a lot of these different things are in different colours and I've not given any explanation of the colours here, so they're more of a visual cue to the viewer uh, at this point. But in fact, they're defined in the underlying uh, modelling tool um, as, uh, uh, as say it's a UML tool, so we use a UML thing called stereotype, but they're basically archetypes. What we're saying here is that anything which is a contract, which is this particular colour here, is a contract archetype that all contracts are descended from, um, has certain facts which are necessarily true about it, such as the rights and obligations, the terms, the jurisdiction, and so on. And so anything that is a contract should necessarily have those same things about it. Now, of course, it inherits those facts anyway, so it's more of a, of a convention to, to, um, to lay to specialise the, um, the kinds of, of, of facts that exist at this high level. And similarly, um, Conferred things are a kind of thing with their own archetype and rights and obligations are, are that kind of thing. And contract terms, you can see. Um, and, of course, these aren't all the contract terms. Each diagram just shows what we think is relevant for that particular view. So that's a little glimpse. And we've got a whole lot of these for financial things. Uh, so the issued equity that I mentioned is in a financial model which shows the whole relationship between equity, debt, um, sorry, between equities, assets and liabilities, the, the classic accounts equation. We've modelled all of that high-level stuff in its most basic form so that we can specialise it for things in the financial industry. Now, if we go on to slide 12, um, I haven't previously shown you the very top of the model, and here it is. So, the red arrow is again showing you where we are in the repository. We're in the global terms at the very top of that part of the tree, and we're in a diagram here, and you'll notice there's actually another diagram you can click through to that has um, all top-level terms, and that's where we've added things like time and, and so on. But this basic structure here um, is based on John Sower's uh, knowledge representation uh, lattice that's in his knowledge representation book, of which the reference to the book is here on the diagram. And what we've done is that all those things that I showed you just now, like contracts and terms and so on, are not 
all descended just from thing. So we're not trying to create a single kind of uh, hierarchy where everything falls directly under thing. But rather we've put in between that, those and thing these three layers that you see laid out here. So the top layer here we have independent, relative and mediating thing. Then you have concrete and abstract. And then you have continuum and occurrence. Now this allows us to, to model all sorts of interesting different things about the world that we're interested in both at this uh, upper ontology level and so the things we then uh, derive from that. So for example I mentioned that contracts have parties and a party to a contract uh, is a, a relative thing. So this top layer independent relative mediating is your classic um, uh, the first order kind of thing the second or T is an independent thing, uh, a bank is an independent thing, um, then a, a counterparty or an issuer or any party like that is a relative thing. And so, for example, uh, in the financial industry, we have a, a kind of bank which we call a custodian, which is a bank that looks after the um, securities that people own. That's a relative thing. And so we, we avoid the, the trap of starting to put down phone numbers and addresses and you know, registration numbers and so on against a relative thing like a client or a counterparty or an issuer or something. We simply have a relative thing which is a party which is identified as an independent thing which is a legal entity. And the same is true with everything in the model is either independent, relative or mediating. A mediating thing is a context. So if, if you've got a legal entity, well let's take a simple example of a human being is an independent thing, um, a parent is a relative thing and parenthood is a mediating thing. It's the context in which it happens. So that allows us to create context for things. Independently of that, um, so everything's descended from one of those three things. Everything's also descended from one of either concrete or abstract. And by concrete, we include uh, non-material things like financial securities and so on. So abstract is really things like strategies and goals and so on. And then the continuant versus the current allows us to model events like corporate events, payments, business processes, like the issuance of a security, we can model all of those things that happen as occurrent things, and we also model the more traditional kind of thing, which is a, an independent, uh, a continuant thing, a thing which exists over a period of time. Um, so everything is, one, is has parentage from each of these three layers, and I've shown the, 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 the class of nothing at the bottom of this. This is probably strictly wrong in modeling terms, because really that's the, the, um, the child class of every individual uh, thing uh, in, in the model rather than this top layer, but it's just to show um, the, the whole structure of the thing. So all of those things like contracts and parties and so on uh, have a parent from each of these three layers um, that help to fix and disambiguate its meaning from other kinds of thing. So next slide, slide 13, um, and really well, this is pretty much it now. So just to um, uh, re recap, the principles that we followed are to create this top level from John Sower's um, knowledge representation ontology lattice with those three different layers that I talked about. We also added things like parts, sets, time and so on, which um, I figured um, needed to be added at that same level so that contractual terms are a kind of set, as, as we saw before. And then everything else is descended from these. Um, and also um, relationships themselves have inheritance and again this is from OWL in fact this is the RDFS subclass relationship so the relationship that says a share confers a, confers a voting right specializes the relationship whereby a contract confers a right which is a relationship we saw just now in this top level um, 
so slide 14, um, what I've basically called this, uh, I mentioned that there's an archetype for each kind of thing, like contracts and parties and processes, with the necessary terms that exist for those. So those form a kind of syntax for that kind of thing. So part, a, a contract has a common syntax that it must follow. So I've decided to call these grammar. Um, I don't know if that's controversial or simple or what, but I just I needed to call it something. So I've called these sets of interlocking syntaxes of things I've called a grammar. So there are all the relationships between roles, parties, the accounts relationships and so on form a, a, a kind of grammar for each of those areas of, of interest. We've got those for legal, for mathematical and so on, as we saw in the, the screenshot. Um, because of the um, occurrent thing partition in the model, we're also able to create things like processes, uh, process steps and uh, decisions in processes and so on. So we can actually uh, model quite a rich level of, of uh, processes as well as um, an individual things. So um, from here on, what we intend to do with this model is uh, we're just completing this first draft now and we've been showing it to some of the early adopters of this within the EDM Council and uh, we've got some very good feedback from them so I'm going to be updating the model over the next couple of weeks and then we'll initiate uh, over the next six months a round of industry subject matter expert reviews to take this initial draft con content that's based on the standards and uh, turn that into an industry consensus where we go through line by line and diagram by diagram and ensure that it represents the reality as the business subject matter experts see it. Now, obviously those business subject matter experts are going to be looking at bonds and equities and swaps and so on um, rather than the upper ontologies, although we will have some people looking at the legal entity part of the model, which is in that upper ontology. But um, in parallel with that, I really want to be able to um, standardize or um, align this as much as I can with stuff that's already out there. So the XBRL standard for accounting, which sits uh, very squarely in our um, upper ontology area for, for financial stuff, they're about to produce um, an OWL model uh, at some point in the near future. And I'm, I've already looked at the XBRL terms when I put that model together, so I hope that it's easy enough to, to align with that. Also, um, Jim McCarthy's REA ontology, which he did a very good presentation of um, a month or so ago covers a lot of those accounting terms and also covers uh, things like transaction which I've got a whole huge model of, of different kinds of transaction within the business section of the upper ontology and I'd really like to be able to align that which I hope will be straightforward because the, the concept of using different archetypes is, is one that's um, very much part of the REA ontology. Um, there's also things like the object management group OMG are doing some work on a time ontology which I'm uh, keen to see their, their meeting this week so um, I'm hoping that we can use that because I struggled a bit with time I had, had to account for a lot of interesting time features in the financial world um, and you know I've tried to look at things like the suggested upper merger, merged ontology sumo and uh, the open psych stuff and uh, I didn't really have the, the, the time to try and you know align with those in detail while putting that together I simply put together basic bits of knowledge that are implied by the, the model that we're creating but I'm hoping that it should be possible to align with some of that structure going forward although the challenge with that is I haven't seen much use of the kind of the three levels that I talked about just now of John Sowers stuff um, also at the same time on the tool front um, 
The way I've modelled this is using a, a thing called the ontology definition meta model from the OMG, Object Management Group, and they've just updated that. And so I'm hoping to align my tool with that more official um, version of the, uh, the underlying structure that I've used. So that's really it. We've used OWL as the basic, sorry, slide 16. Um, we use OWL as the basic language for its expressive power. We've put a layer of plain English on top of that so that nobody has to learn OWL in order to be able to input to our ontology. We've um, put the whole lot in a, a UML editing tool. It's a tool called Enterprise Architect, um, which also allows me to create those different colorful diagrams and things. It's a, a very useful editing tool. And then we output from that into business reviewable formats, namely spreadsheets and diagrams that don't have UML terms on them. And then we've added the upper ontology structure defined archetypes for every kind of thing. So we've got a, like a grammar of necessary properties for each class of thing and each relationship. Um, and in doing that, I'm hoping that uh, I'll be able to move to more standardized terms within the upper ontology wherever possible, which is why I'm very interested in this whole emerging ontology um, area because uh, I don't want to reinvent the wheel, but here is a wheel. It's a bit square, but hopefully um, we can do a lot of good things with it. So that's my presentation. Um, if I, Thank you. I hand back to Ken, um, I think, although I put questions on a slide here, I think questions come at a later point. So over to you, Ken. Let's move on to uh, Mike Bergman. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to thank the forum for inviting us to this kickoff session of the Emerging Ontologies. Colleague and co-editor Fred Giasson passes on his uh, regrets. He is uh, unfortunately at a uh, but hopefully I'll be able to uh, represent uh, his his comments as well in this. First slide, please, Peter. Um, we have just released and completed basically a year-long effort to put forward a reference. Lightweight reference ontology. This has been a piece of infrastructure that my company, Zeitgeist LLC, for its commercial work. But because of our interest in uh, hopefully seeing others use and adopt it, we have provided it as open source and will continue to support and develop it. Presently, right now, in version 0.71. We ourselves would not really call it ready for commercial deployment in prime time until we get to version 1.0. There still is additional work to do in terms of relationships and concepts and so forth. A few of the points we'll get to in the what I'd like to cover with you in the next few minutes will be the objectives and candidates. Why did we undertake this initiative in the first place? How we created it, how we see it being used, terminology that we are using. We'll take you through a view of the humble ontology graph itself. We'll talk a little bit about some of the Predicates and classes that we have defined within the uh, language because UMBL is both a vocabulary and an ontology. We'll discuss some of the web services that we are offering 
have available right now, and we'll get into some conclusions and, and further steps that we're taking. So if we could then, please, Peter, let's go to slide two. Our observation from a bit more than a year ago, as we were getting uh, heavily involved with what's called linked data, basically a practice utilizing the web, our eyes on the web and web access, doing semantic web activities, that existing ontologies really fell into two categories. That ontologies that described uh, OF ontology is a famous one having to do with there's DOPE, which relates to projects. There's SHOCK, web postings and blog postings and things of that sort. And we had a series of basically domain-specific ontologies, again, largely in the social sense in areas like music and so forth. What was missing was a set of reference points in the global semantic web information space describe what content was about. So if you keep in the back of your mind throughout this conversation uh, that Umble really about the predicate quote is about, that will help keep you aligned into its, its uh, fundamental. So when we began this effort more than a year ago, we looked to things like Wikipedia and other sources of user-generated content as perhaps a, an emerging way by which the subject matter of the web could be defined and, and characterized. And we began with a premise that we were going to look to such sources in order to build uh, our Umbel ontology. Uh, however, as we began the process, if you go on to slide three, um, we were quite disappointed, frankly, with the lack of coherence, as we've termed it, with regard to uh, existing web structures. Uh, the category structure of Wikipedia, uh, if you look at previous uh, directory structures, is things like uh, DMOZ, uh, the direct, uh, uh, open directory project, and things of that nature. Uh, as we investigated the uh, coherence of the conceptual relationships in those structures, uh, we found them lacking. Furthermore, we, our initial premise that perhaps a, a flat structure without relationships also overlooked the potential that we had in terms of being able to trace uh, subject relationships through the content graph of the web. So we actually backed away from some of those um, initial premises of a flat uh, user-generated structure, and then began an effort of looking at what other structures might we build upon. So let's move to slide four, please. Um, I won't go into detail, but we did, in our own diligence, uh, do quite a bit of detail in terms of what might be a building block set of structural conceptual relationships in order to provide a set of reference nouns, so to speak, or subject concepts, as we've come to call them, for how to relate content to other content on the semantic web. 
our eventual choice was to pick psych. Um, we could spend quite a bit of time in the discussion period about uh, the, the rationale behind that, and we will touch on a few of the points in, in some of the subsequent slides. But basically, we were looking for something that was proven, open source, uh, had a very strong uh, common sense and real-world orientation, but also had the ability to uh, be used as a, a testing and a coherence test bed. And so when we made the choice to go with Psych, we then move on to slide five. Um, psych is a, is a relatively uh, complicated, uh, crufty system. It's been in existence for more than 20 years. Uh, PsychCorp now claims more than a thousand person years of effort has gone into uh, the testing and creation of the assertions within the system. It has at present more than 300,000 internal concepts and more than a thousand micro theories that relate to various ways to, to look at the world. Uh, that was way too uh, complicated and way too uh, embedded with many of the prior work that had been gone on with Psych for the intelligence community and many of, her, of their, their commercial customers. And so while we were excited and committed and believed that it offered a very strong uh, structural infrastructure, uh, we needed to set forth in front of us a path of basically uh, cleaning out the attic, uh, going out with grinders and, and getting rid of the, uh, the old concepts, some of the old projects, some of the terminology that had been slipped into the system over decades. And so literally for more than uh, eight months, with direct assistance from PsychCorp, uh, we went through a process of basically winnowing through the concepts uh, in the open psych system. And as this diagram shows, we basically went through a process that resulted in a 90% reduction in the eventual concepts that got included uh, in UMBLE. Now, an important thing to note here, and we'll get into this terminology in a bit, the bottom line of this diagram shows what we call named entities. These are basically the instance circumstances within Psych, uh, the people, places, and, and actual individual things. Subject concepts, which were the principal and are the principal focus of UMBLE, namely what might be real-world descriptions for what things are about. And abstract concepts, uh, oftentimes more corresponding to what is what you see frequently in an upper ontology. A uh, good example in, in psych would be the concept called partially tangible thing. Um, this is not a term or a concept that someone would normally uh, assign or, or try to describe uh, as another set of content as being about. So we, we needed to retain some of the abstract concepts in order to, if you will, maintain the integrity and the glue of the inherent psych structure but our focus, again, was to come down and, and to put forward these set of a, uh, assignment concepts, the subject concepts within UMBLE. And that's where we resulted in uh, 20,000 of these items. So next slide, please, number six. 
So in going through this process and resulting in these, this set of 20,000 concepts, we now have a structure that can be applied for a, a number of different uses. Uh, the first use of UMBL is basically as a meta layer for metadata, uh, a way of relating external content and, and the subject matter that that content is about to a set of fixed uh, relationships and concepts in a global information space. Next slide. Also, UMBL, in, you know, as being a very lightweight distillation, so to speak, of psych, um, kind of sits at what we have called the infocline. It, it, it's, it sits between a closed-world, self-consistent, integral uh, knowledge base and ontology, namely psych, which has a lot of inferencing and reasoning power as well as internal tools and capabilities, and the open world uh, set of ontologies and constructs that are emerging on the web in the semantic web. And so uh, UMBL then becomes, if you will, a tie-in point for the more lightweight uh, structures uh, of the semantic web uh, as well as being able then to flow through and tie into psych. Now, this is an important slide because one of the uh, design requirements that we have in order for UMBL to play this kind of middleware role is that UMBL does not adopt or embrace concepts that themselves are not already in psych. So UMBL itself is a direct uh, subset uh, of concepts and relationships already within the psych system. And we will continue to maintain that design premise so that there is reach-in from the external semantic web into the tools and capabilities and greater uh, inferencing capabilities of the psych knowledge base itself. Next slide. Uh, UMBL, because of its relationships in the in the backbone, is also a roadmap. It's uh, if you have an interest in a topic, it's almost like infinite faceting. Uh, you are able to move from one location to another location in terms of its logical relationships. Uh, slide seven, please. And fundamentally, it's a backbone. Again, this was its uh, initial purpose to provide a fixed set of. Uh, reference concepts for describing what content on the semantic web is about. And next slide, please. And of course, uh, it is an ontology. Um, so in addition to the relationship of, of the subject concepts derived from psych, uh, there's also a language and a construction methodology uh, underneath UMBL, so it acts both as a vocabulary, a semantic web vocabulary, and a reference ontology of subjects. Next slide. So let's talk about a couple of the key concepts here. We, 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 we do make a very fundamental uh, distinction between subject concepts. Uh, these are meant to be concrete, non-abstract, uh, nouns, uh, they are, uh, in the definition of UMBL, they are classes, noun classes to which external 
uh, things can be assigned, external ontologies can be assigned, and they, me they are meant to be things that are kind of understandable and knowable about the world. Next slide. Slide 12 now. Slide 12, yes, thank you. Um, in addition, there are instances that populate this structure, and those we call, just in our terminology, named entities. Named entities are the specific individuals of the world that have, uh, that are assigned to one or more of those subject concepts. And so we relate to the humble uh, subject concept structure through a series of named entity dictionaries that make an assignment for a given named entity uh, like Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln is a president, uh, was a president, and is a person, and grew up in Illinois. These are the types of conceptual then relationships that uh, Abraham Lincoln as a, a named entity uh, is assigned and therefore provides the entry pathway into the, the subject concept graph. Uh, right now, in terms of the public distribution of the system, uh, Wikipedia named entities are part of the uh, open source uh, distribution and access for Humble. Uh, we will be adding some other public sources to that. There are some BBC information. There's some smaller ones as well. Uh, but typically, when we are engaged with commercial customers, uh, we actually are creating uh, proprietary or, or specific enterprise-specific named entity dictionaries that they use to relate to these structures. Slide 13, please. And we also then, through the class structure, through the adoption of OWL full for the ontology, that gives us the dual use of being able to relate our concepts to one another within the structure itself uh, at, at an instance level, um, but then to also look at each of those subject concepts as a class so that we can then make class assignments through OWL equivalent uh, class predicates to relate uh, the UMBL structure to external ontologies. So, for example, in something like the bibliographic ontology, BIBO, uh, which is mapped to UMBL, uh, about 10 or 12 of BIBO's key class uh, definitions are directly mapped to uh, subject concepts or classes within UMBL. Similarly, we have mappings with uh, geonames from a geographic place standpoint, uh, music ontology, and, and more being added constantly. When we do this type of mapping, and that needs to be done with, with great care, um, that enables under the right conditions of, of, of shared domains and ranges the ability to also inference across then to the external ontologies or vice versa as well. And we term this basic capability exploding the domain. Um, as, as part of this, we have needed to have some care in terms of providing uh, uh, inverse relationships for all of our predicates, for all of our classes, uh, key predicates within the, the UMBL system so that we can have bidirectional um, equivalencies and inferencing between UMBL and external ontologies. 
slide 14, please. So now I'm just going to quickly take you through some, uh, we, this is using, utilizing the Cytoscape uh, open source uh, graph visualization software. We're just going to do a quick dive into what, using the, uh, the, the spring uh, algorithm, uh, what the Umbel ontology looks like. So here's, here's a view at the 50,000 foot level uh, showing all 20,000 nodes in the system. Next slide, 15. Uh, we've now dropped down to the top 750. Next slide, 16. Diving down into the top 350. Uh, next slide, 17. Uh, we're now coming in uh, looking at the concept, subject concept of automobiles. And finally, slide 18, uh, we come down with a, a bit of a cleaned-up view about what the neighborhood is around automobile uh, with a specific interest in SOBs. Uh, this type of navigational and relational system is one of the ways by which uh, we can move through the graph as a way of extending from one external ontology and its subject matter and moving through relationship-wise to other ontologies that might be mapped uh, at slightly different points. It also provides different ways by which people can enter the, uh, the, the information space and, and cruise through it and do their six degrees of uh, Kevin Bacon or six degrees of automobiles in this case. Okay. So now let's uh, transition on to slide 19. Let's uh, talk a little bit about the, the about Umbel as an ontology. Um, like other semantic web constructs or systems, uh, it's very important for us to reuse uh, vocabularies where they exist. We have a very strong relationship and dependence with the SCOS uh, vocabulary. Uh, we use SCOS as a way of describing the concepts, uh, defining the concepts, and establishing the basic hierarchical relationship between the concepts. Slide 20, please. Uh, we did, in this vocabulary, introduce three new classes. Um, subject concept, which is, again, this it's, it's both an instance and a class, depending upon how used. Uh, we used the combination between subject and concept to indicate that we were bridging that dual use. Uh, DC subject, for example, uh, it would be confusing here, and concept has also been confusing in some of the upper ontologies. Uh, for reasons that I indicated before, we wanted to maintain the graph integrity and the relationship integrity amongst the concepts, but some of those are abstract and not really uh, useful for concrete assignment purposes about what subject matter or content might be about. So we introduced the abstract concept class. And then we extended the WordNet, uh, what's known as the standard WordNet SINSET, into what we call the SEMSET. It's very much akin to a SINSET, but we wanted SEMSETs to be a much broader understanding that would also pick up on common lingo and terminology that we might find in tagging systems and folksonomies. So they're meant to be like synonyms or aliases, uh, but probably broadly, more broadly construed than what's normally understood in the WordNet SINSET 
and so we felt therefore obligated to uh, introduce a new class name. The next slide, number 21, brings us to the, uh, the predicates that were introduced into the system. I need to refresh here. Um, again, we have, we have some interesting uh, challenges in front of us because, right, we are doing both uh, instance-to-class and class-to-instance type relationships, and even in some instances, and these are perhaps experimental and may not, may not last the, uh, the test of time, uh, where there are, if you will, almost a set-level uh, intersections with the external world, maybe those alignments are not. Uh, equivalent class in the owl sense of, of really dealing entirely with the full uh, overlap, but are close to being over, uh, complete overlaps. And so, a lot of uh, natural language processing, a lot of mapping, a lot of there's a lot of capabilities out there for uh, calculating semantic relatedness, but not having 100% certainty that you are indeed dealing with the same thing. So we have in introduced some, uh, if you will, numerical properties that help to characterize what those degrees of relatedness uh, may be. And like I say, this is a relatively new concept for the semantic web. Uh, truthfully, I don't know how, how well or if this will uh, last the test of time as, as Umble or similar concepts move forward, but we have provided the placeholders for those. Okay, slide 22, please. Um, here's a basic uh, example out of what you would see if you downloaded the, uh, the Umble ontology, uh, showing the basic layout, um, in this case in N3 uh, serialization for the ontology. And then next slide, please, 23. Uh, I believe this is up to date. Um, we will be introducing, I think, a couple more next week. But this now represents the uh, specific uh, existing semantic web ontologies that have been mapped to the UMBL structure. Uh, I think I've mentioned before the FOF and the GEO names. Um, we also are utilizing the DC uh, Dublin Core uh, terminology, but there the mapping is, is slightly different, so it's not shown here on this list. Um, and then we are also, from a proprietary sense, uh, we are mapped in with a number of, uh, mostly in the content publishing world, uh, ontologies that are used for internal content processing and so forth, but are themselves not publicly available. Okay. Slide 24, please. Uh, this entire system um, is available uh, online with uh, sites for download for interaction via web services. Uh, those are right now provided as a human interface. Uh, we are programmatically releasing the uh, APIs for API access uh, next week, including a new service that's not shown on this list, which also will be uh, free and open source, called SCONES. Uh, SCONES stands for Subject Concept or Named Entities, SCONES. Uh, it's basically the ability to submit any 
uh, arbitrary text and to return uh, both uh, uh, RDF or RDFA. That's a particular format that you can embed in web pages uh, in identification of the subject concepts or named entities that may be included in, in uh, any arbitrary text that you submit to the system. Uh, in addition, with, the, uh, with that, the full APIs to these web services are also going to be released. I, I believe it will be next week. If it's not next week, it will come probably a week from Monday. Uh, we're very close at hand. Uh, slide 25, please. This here is a, just a screenshot that shows the, uh, the website that you can go to, and I'll give you that link here in just a moment. Uh, that provides access to these web services. And next screen, please, 26. Uh, included that, one of the, one of the uh, services is a very nice uh, data visualization capability from Moritz Stefaner in Germany. Uh, Moritz is one of the uh, leading lights, I think, in large-scale data visualization these days. Uh, he has kindly donated some of his work and, in fact, is working on a second version, which is going to be a full-structure navigation version. But the Subject Concept Explorer uh, enables you to come into anywhere into the UMBL structure and to begin to navigate through it like swimming through the fishes. Uh, it's, it's interactive in real time as you click on the bubbles and move through the, uh, the 20,000 node structure. Next slide, please which is now, uh, go ahead to the, the slide after that, which is slide, um, I've got to my glasses, 28. We are right now at about the uh, five-week point for the first uh, initial release. We've had two subsequent updates uh, to the ontology. We anticipate r uh, roughly new versions of this uh, continuing. Uh, as we hear about concepts that we've overlooked, this, this whole process by which we went through gleaning and distilling concepts from the starting psych ontology, we, we overlooked some. Uh, psych itself has learned a lot through our interaction with them. They themselves are reviewing uh, psych in its entirety and have done, now, not done that now twice. Uh, they recently announced uh, uh, a new OWL version of OpenPsych. Uh, significant amount of the improvements that came in that new release was through the direct uh, interaction with, with the UMBL project. Uh, so we, we, we anticipate a lot of uh, continued action here because we are, are, again, very hopeful that we can provide this sort of central routing structure or subject structure that will enable... Uh, any type of content published in semantic web form uh, on the web to be related to other content, and that's, that's critically related to context. And then for the last substantive slide here before I get into links, number 29, Peter, um, as I indicated, here's kind of where we stand in terms of status. Uh, next week or... Uh, very early the week thereafter, uh, the new web service and uh, all of the APIs, including uh, so-called Sparkle, that's a query language for accessing uh, RDF, will be exposed for UMBL and its public named entity dictionaries. 
Um, we as a company right now are most active in applying this same kind of vocabulary and lightweight uh, subject concept approach, as I indicated, to a number of commercial customers that have uh, and the areas that we are looking at are, 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 are business and industry definitions, business process, uh, so-called STM, which is the science, uh, technical, and medical uh, terminology markets, uh, oil and gas, um, and insurance. Um, in addition, uh, Umble and a group of semantic web companies, uh, this has not been, been publicly announced, and we won't probably until it's, uh, there's something really to look at. I mean, it's not like it's, it's secret, but there's about key groups in the uh, climate change community applying umbel-like concepts to organize uh, the domain of, of climate change. So we, we, we've, we're learning a lot. We're still learning more. Um, we are particularly very pleased with the decision to base this on psych because as we extend and add new ontologies to the system, in order to maintain coherence, we need to we need to have we need to test that the relationships are uh, make common sense and, and, and can withstand uh, inference scrutiny. And one of the real advantages of of the psych knowledge system is it gives us uh, a rich, rich, rich set of uh, internal tools and test suites by which we can uh, run these. Uh, these new ontologies and new humble-like relationships uh, against. So uh, we, we anticipate that some of these will also emerge as, as public ontologies over time, particularly the, the climate change one definitely will, um, but we're very excited about what this also means from a methodology standpoint. So on to the kind of the last two concluding slides here in slide 30. Um, and you can get these online. Here are reference links to all the key things, the ontology itself, the web services, documentation, the Google groups behind uh, Umble. We welcome anyone here on the forum uh, to join in and, and participate. And then the last slide here, slide 31, um, I'd like to thank a number of entities, including uh, Zeitgeist for uh, a year's worth of support, OpenLink software for, for hosting all of the, the systems, and uh, Sitecorp in particular for um, great assistance as we've gone through the distillation process. Uh, with that, there's some contact information on the last slide here for anyone who'd like to get in touch with me or Fred, and uh, very much like, again, to thank the forum for this opportunity to, to share Rumble with it. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Now let's um, we'll open the session to questions, uh, but first let's let's start with the questions that are on the chat area. Peter Yim, you had a question for Mike Bennett. My question mm -hmm. was, uh, how much influence does the EDM Council have to get its constituency to ad adopt or conform to the set of standard terms that you have developed? And, and who is in that constituency anyway? Yes, that's a very good question. Um, I think the, the, the quick answer is that, um, well, the constituency, first of all, is principally um, some major banks, some of which are still alive, and um, 
financial industry data providers and uh, a few other um, actors within the financial um, industry. So uh, a lot of those uh, sit on the board of the EDM Council and it was they who basically said, yeah, we need to get this semantics thing sorted out. Um, here's some budget to do it, um, kindly get on with it. So the buy-in for... Uh, having a common semantic model is very much driven by the, the stakeholders, the membership of the council itself. Um, we're still, uh, in terms of how it would then be used or, or, you know, how or where one adopts these terms, I think different members are likely to use it differently. And something I, I should have stressed right at the beginning of my presentation, and I'll stress again now, is that this is a very much an open uh, ontology. Everybody, whether they're a member of the council or not, is, is able to use it. Um, it's completely there for, for anybody to use. Um, so it's open, uh, well, basically um, public domain uh, knowledge, which people can use however they like. Um, so I think from the conversations we've had, some of the council members uh, would be able to use it um, simply in place of the ad hoc spreadsheets and things that are currently used to try and track business requirements. And that's kind of the minimum use case that um, simply simplifies the business requirements management side of things. Um, there are also those looking at whether they can then uh, generate logical models um, and, and you know, fit it within a, a more structured development process. Um, that requires a bit more work to get from here to there, but um, I think there's a level of interest in, in that as well. Um, so in terms of adopting or conforming, it's really um, you know, uh, using the, the business definitions uh, to track back to from the, um, the various technical formats that they're already using rather than replacing something that's already in there with something else. Uh, but in the longer term, as this becomes a consensus view of terms, we're hoping to uh, try and input it to the ISO standards process, uh, possibly within a future version of ISO 20022, which um, is probably a couple of years away or more. So that's, that's really uh, where we are at the moment with that. But it's open for anybody to use. Uh, uh, just to follow on, uh, are the members of the council predominantly like uh, United Kingdom-based uh, financial entities, or uh, are they sort of more global? I know you were in New York lately. Uh, yes, um, it's, it's absolutely global, but the council itself is based in Washington, D.C., so the, the, the prime movers in the council are really US-based, um, so people like uh, Golden Source, um, Citibank, um, various uh, banks and so on. Um, I, I won't try and mention names and things, but there's pretty much all, all, you know, a lot of the big banks there. And so the, most of the people that sit on the board and that make the decisions are really US-based. So I just happen to be in, in London because that's where I'm based. Uh, yeah. But we've got membership in Europe, we've got people in Australia, India, um, possibly Southeast Asia, I think. So it's, it's very much global. Um, but the working language of it, for example, is American English. Thank you very much for a great presentation and great Thanks. work. Absolutely. Thanks. Mike, okay, Mike th th this is, Hi, this is Mike, Mike Bergman here. I just wanted to mention oh. that there are two or three groups, Mike, that uh, are mm -hmm. looking at... XBRL and its application Good. to um, to owl ontologies, and I'm sure would like to, to follow up with you. 
Definitely, no, we've been, and in fact, uh, Mike Atkin, who heads up the EDM Council, is in, in very uh, close relationship with some of the, the guys in XBRL, and um, I noticed there's a question further down about the IASB, the International Accounting Standards Board, um, for example. Um, I'm, I'm really uh, eagerly awaiting the, um, the sort of OWL output from the XBRL thing, because I should, I should add that, uh, for those who don't know that space, that unlike a lot of XML standards, which are really physical data message standards, XBRL happens to use XML, but it uses it to really create a language that is effectively an ontology language. It has the same richness of expression as, as OWL or any other ontology language has. Um, so it's going to be very exciting when we start to see um, stuff coming out of that that's easier to sort of view and import and do things with. That covers more the accounting um, global ontology rather than the instrument definitions. But again, it's contains many of the building blocks for um, for the financial services ontology. Oh. Now there were a number of questions from uh, mm -hmm. Ravi. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Ravi. Ravi, can you um, just, uh, unmute your phone? With can you hear me? Oh, there you are. Yes. Lovely. Peter, can you hear um, me? Yes, yes, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, the questions are for Mike Bennett, mm -hmm. uh, but before I ask them, I think Susan had her uh, question up. So I would let Susan go ahead of me, and then I will come after her. Right, yeah. Susan's question mm -hmm. is more related to, to the, the... Oh, you unmute uh, by star three. three to unmute. Yes, star three, Susan, to unmute. And it takes a couple of seconds while it does it. Star yes. three. Star three. We, we still can't hear you, Susan. Uh, uh, maybe she's looking at chat oh, only. I, so. I'm sorry, can you hear oh, me? Yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, I had, I had my headset <laughs> on mute. Excuse me. Um, yeah, I think you've answered my question. If it's a lot of U.S. interest, I'm sure mm -hmm. that it there will be discussions with the e-discovery community, not only mm -hmm. for the anticipated subprime litigation, but in all sorts of areas, and, and I appreciated very much your talk and the good work. I kind of wish we'd had a lot of this in place over the last five, ten years, but uh, I guess we'll, we'll get yeah. there. <laughs> it's been spooky looking at the physical message terms for some of these derivatives products and how blank some of the definitions are. Exactly. I'm sure it's not their fault, the entire collapse of the global financial system. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah pe people aren't really saying to what extent they don't know what's where associated mm -hmm. with the siloed IT systems, and it may mm -hmm. never quite be said, but I think that's a part of how things can go slippery-slidey, and it also speaks to how we need to turn around and get to the transparency. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, well, I, I tried to reverse engineer some yeah. of the stuff from the derivatives language, FPML, and when I got to credit derivative swaps, there were no words. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of like a black hole. <laughs> right, thank it was you. a bit. Thank you. Yes, thank you. So, so, yeah, and if you want to set up a, a detailed conversation with, with uh, Mike Atkin of the EDM Council and myself and go through this, um, I'm I, sure we could uh, set I, something I work up for with you. The, I work with the U.S. government e-discovery mm -hmm. lawyers, and I'm sure they'd like to chat with you at some point. Excellent. Great. Thanks. Uh-huh. Pleasure. Um, 
Good. So you had another question about the congruence from the International Accounting Standards Board. Um, I guess we covered under the XBRL question, I hope. The, um, mm -hmm. Todd Schneider also can come. Uh, do you want to speak now? Is it okay? Mm -hmm. yeah, I have ahead. two or three questions for Mike, but uh, yeah. one of them you really answered uh, towards the end of your slides, which is that you're well connected to the OWL, UML, uh, especially UML2, ODM, yeah. and uh, those efforts. But are you equally connected to SBVR and uh, B business uh, model, BMM, and... Uh, uh, other business vocabulary standards in OMG because they all interplay with each other on interoperation. Yes, uh, yes. I, I spoke to um, um, Donald Chapin, who's involved with SBVR, and um, David Frankel also um, suggested that I should look at SBVR um, within the time scale that, that we had to put this initial thing together. Um, I didn't really have a chance to explore some of those more interesting issues, but I think that at some point um, it, it would be good to look at how we can create a, an SBVR layer uh, onto this or, or how, how one could, you know, at the moment this is a very practical, simple solution for defining uh, meanings and putting them in front of business people, but if we can use the uh, SBVR, it's a simple uh, business rules vocabulary, to a simple business vocabulary and rules to um, interface somehow with, with a more natural language, and that's another question in general. Um, how to do anything with natural language. Um, it's not within the, the requirements the EDM Council are asking for. Um, my instructions were to keep the philosophy out of sight, and I think I've succeeded in that. But I'm really keen to talk to the um, SBVR folks in more detail and um, explore that area as soon as I get a chance. Yes, and they have created uh, some offshoots from that business architecture working group, date, time, vocabulary, mm -hmm. Some of these I'm participating in, but others, oh. there are others. But uh, oh, now coming maybe. back to the, yeah, coming back to the connection of what you showed us with some mm -hmm. of these standard efforts, mm -hmm. I was thinking, first of all, at the top of my mind is, is EBXML kind of B2B uh, contract execution possible now in semantics or into ontological concepts or concepts? Ooh. That's a very good question. Um, yeah, I looked at EBXML um, a, a little while ago, but I didn't look at it directly while working on this. Um, the whole EBXML family of about eight standards that fall under UNCFAX and ISO and so on um, mostly cover um, electronic trade and electronic business rather than the financial industry specifics and it's a pity that yes. in some of the XML standards development there hasn't been more kind of cross-pollination between between the EBXML world and, and the financial world uh, but it's uh, it's certainly an area I don't know what I don't know if I mean the EBXML family uses the UN uh, CCTS uh, core components concept um, for the, the, the business layer and um, well, I'm reasonably familiar with that. I can't off the top of my so head some of it think how to relate yeah, that to this. Some of, some of it translated into XMDR, EBXRL that you mentioned. And mm -hmm. uh, what is important is to take that these business processes 
which in mm-hmm. one case means you give me inventory i give you money but in mm-hmm. another case it means you give me stock i give you money or i mm-hmm. uh, promise to give you so much worth for that stock those mm-hmm. concepts are electronically exchangeable and so if those mm-hmm. concepts are brought into more semantic uh, well defined areas they are more auditable they are more traceable and they have more exact meaning uh, yeah. compared to that's just a xml document that's a very good point i mean um those kind of uh, transaction uh, concepts are a little bit different to the way transactions are done in the financial securities world but what i've done is in the upper ontology i've modeled the very basic facts of what we know and that includes things like uh, uh, mercantile transactions um, in order just to show how they relate to securities transactions and over-the-counter derivatives transactions. All I've really done is model very, very simple things and facts at that most abstract level uh, based on just basic you know, knowledge of what's out there. It's not specialised into anything in particular. So I would hope that that would correspond to EBXML, but the detailed terms in EBXML would fall outside the scope of the financial instruments model. But it would be worthwhile to compare um, some of the EBXML stuff that's out there with what I've got in the uh, transactions models, which you'll find in the business section of the upper ontology. But, uh, but these PDOs and the security securitized assets that we've been mm-hmm. trading in our mortgage meltdown today have mm-hmm. all originated in uh, some U.S. semantics and have, have been bought over all over the world by many international financial mm-hmm. institutions as well, going into billions. So obviously yeah. electronic transactions can help. Uh, oh yes, but they don't use EBXML. They use typically a standard called SPML. Other things. Yeah. Yeah. So EBXML hasn't really extended to the trading no, of. I was just giving it as an example mm. of the kind of business process execution ah, right. that B two B people can use. Similarly, where would mm. ontologies take us if we were to use similar constructs using ontological relationships? Ah. The main advantage would be being able to have the information, say, in an FPML uh, derivatives electronic message where I mentioned these uh, areas that aren't well documented and there are semantic inconsistencies and errors within FPML, getting that information to the risk management systems, to the compliance people, to regulatory requirements and oversight and so on, uh, all requires that you would be able to take the terms in those messages and map them to an ontology. The problem up to now is that the business people have left the techies to basically get on with it and they've produced messages which they believe have business meaning but which nobody else can relate back to what is real business meaning, which is the legal impact of things and the cash flow impact of things and so on. So ontology is very much uh, uh, the answer to that problem, I have to say. Yes, we can probably take some of these uh, offline through email. Yeah, I think so. I'm just very aware of the time. I I think think maybe you and I should chat um, offline because there's a lot of questions. And I know that Mike hasn't had a look in yet. So let's do that. one no, last question have... is that in the John Sova representation, mm-hmm. the, uh, the the questions that I asked were relating to uh, mediating and relative things need not be mutually exclusive. They can um, have on each other. 
No, uh, they, they have relationships to each other, but something which is one cannot also be the other. So, bearing in mind, Al is basic set theory that it's something that has all oh, properties that make it one thing. I cannot relate it to myself. Yeah, okay, that that's right. logical sense. Yeah. Yeah. Only last question is in your third column of the spreadsheet that you were showing, where you were showing English definitions of these yeah. things and relationships. Uh, mm -hmm. What are the chances that a structured English would be... Uh, or a natural language English, which is yeah, would be. People have suggested that. John Sower was suggesting it in the um, online forum the other day. Um, I realistically, since this is the part of it that's owned by business people, I don't think that would fly. I know it's a great idea, but uh, it should be possible somehow one day. Uh, not with what was there, but it, it would be nice to be able to generate structured English from the structure of the model but this column is really uh, industry consensus building by people who think in words and there's no way that I would impose on those people any kind of science theory or philosophy so realistically that's not going to happen but maybe if we can ever get generate you know, structured good English out of the structure of the model then that would render that column redundant but at the moment it gives you a second like a safety net, if you like, a belt and braces uh, second take on the semantics of something. And uh, Peter, I think I should hold back my question for Mike Bergman and give others a chance. Well, we're actually reaching the uh, mm. nearly 3.30 now, uh, it's, uh, Eastern Time. Um, so we're that's almost the Okay, then uh, just, just the a 30 seconds. Todd had a very quick question, yes. which I have the answer is yes. Yes, 10 yeah, seconds I... for, for the other mic. <laughs> yeah, shall, shall we extend the time for maybe an extra 10 minutes if the, uh, the group doesn't mind? Because I, I, I myself and I guess others probably would have uh, questions for uh, Mike Berkman as well. Mm. Is that okay? I have for Mike. Yeah. I, that's okay. I think we really should. Yeah. Uh, yes, if, if everybody's in agreement, we should go on, and because uh, yes. we really haven't uh, discussed the second presentation. Yes, Mike second Berkman. speaker yet. Yes, um, I, I guess have a thing we didn't have three Mike. presentations, huh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mike uh, Bergman, I have a thirty seconds. Are there go any ahead. tests that you do to validate ontology, like from Psych? or from your umbel? Yes, actually, um, there are a number, one of the uh, uh, comments, I suppose, I won't use the word criticism, but one of the comments that I think one could fairly make about Psych and PsychCorp is that they have many capabilities that are not well publicized. Um, one of them in particular is called SKSI, which stands for Semantic Knowledge Source Integration. Um, it's kind of an umbrella for a set of, of uh, capabilities that can be used for doing ontology alignment and testing. Um, in oh. addition, there are many other internal site capabilities uh, accessible through the SiteL language, as well as uh, various tests with uh, micro-theories and assertions in the knowledge base uh, that can be applied to test the reasonableness of, of new ontology building or ontology mapping. So, yes, 
there is a very rich set of capabilities for doing that, and that was a key reason for uh, picking Psych as opposed to you know other other bases as well. And then the web services that you provide out of Umbel, are they semantically connected to other ontologies or are they just providing a name uh, saying, I'm sending you this parameter, this thing, this relationship? No, they are connected. All of those, uh, whatever it was, uh, 16 or, or whatever yeah. mm-hmm. uh, ontologies, if you go to umbel.zeitgeist.com and do yeah. a search on a concept, I'll just give you one like a project or person, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you pick the detailed subject report, that is a roll-up of a number of the individual web services, and included if, with that will be uh, the mapping assignments to external ontologies. So uh, the, it will show how this ontology is connected to that ontology semantically. That's correct, uh, and there Fantastic. are also and it is a it is a groundbreaking work. Thank you. Thank you. Let me also mention that there are developer tools within that uh, web s- services set that can also test. You can you can enter a concept and trace through to find its relationships as well. So oh. not only can you look at a re- have a relationship known in advance that you want to test, uh, it's narrower and broader terms as well as external relationships, but you can actually trace uh, and find uh, conceptual relationships through some of those services. Fantastic. And I enjoyed your roll-up, you know, like you're filtering out to the top node, and I was (laughs) able to see that most of the subjects uh, or things were having the right uh, semantics. Thank you. Great work. I have no more questions. Does anyone else have a question? Yes, uh, Peter Yim. Peter, okay. Uh, 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 a question for, for Mike Berkman and uh, uh, his comment. Uh, uh, thank you very much. I mean, this, your presentation is great, and, of course, your work and particularly uh, how clever you have done it with adopting psych and then... Uh, Providing a, a bridge between the, the the more formal work to the sort of uh, vastly almost chaotic uh, web or semantic web uh, <laughs> that's most wonderful. Uh, you did mention that you are just uh, going to be working within the, the the boundaries of psych, but. I mean, on your roadmap or further down the road, are you, do you have plans to incorporate uh, concepts? I'm, I'm sorry, I, I lost the last part of that question, Peter. Yes, are, are you, uh, do you have plans to incorporate concepts outside of what's in OpenPsych? Yeah. Uh, Umble itself as kind of a universal reference structure uh, will not embrace subject concepts outside of psych. We will, however, and we are in close communication with PsychCorp about adding concepts where they, they appear appropriate to Umbel's purpose and, and PsychCorp thinks they're appropriate to the psych knowledge base as well. Uh, that being said, though, the, 
the UMBL-like domain-specific ontologies that are being created do not have that restriction. Um, what happens there is we test the reasonableness of the new concept assertions against the psych knowledge base, but those those domain ontologies can go in any direction they so choose, and, in, and it's in that manner where a lot of domain-specific vocabulary and, and structural relationships, like everything that, that Mike Bennett was describing, I mean, there's detail in what Mike Bennett and, and EDM has done that is not at all uh, fully captured within Humble nor um, oh. nor Psych, and so the way in which that occurs is we we, we align where where the alignment exists between Humble and Psych. We utilize the same kind of uh, vocabulary for setting the conceptual relationships in in the mapping, but we allow then the uh, the domain specific ontologies to go as they will, but still to try to, to keep alignment where there is overlap with the existing core humble and, and uh, site concepts. So the, the restriction is only humble itself because of its more or less intended role to be this kind of common reference uh, structure for subject matter on the web where it needs to be domain responsive uh, those those restrictions are, are removed. Thank you, Mike. Uh, one other question, and I'll yield to others who have. Uh, I am interested in the couple of uh, uh, concepts. I mean, the, the uh, relationship that, uh, that that has the degree of like is alignment and uh, <laughs> another one. What? Uh, what is the range? I mean, do you rank it from zero to nine, or uh, how how is how has that been? Those two uh, been implemented? Uh, so far, they have been implemented as, as we, we describe the method that's used for the alignment, and then we uh, use the assignment. So let's say it's a TFIDF calculation or maybe the result of a conditional random field uh, calculation. We actually then use the assignment and make note of the basis by which the assignment was done. Um, the idea there is that over time, better methods will arise. And so people may, and they also, some people may like certain methods as opposed to others. So uh, again, this is rather experimental, but the but the idea is to, if you will, tie the numeric score to the actual method, uh, so that it's repeatable by others and substitutable if better algorithms arise. Hmm. Thank you. It's 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 fairly controversial to provide those types of. Uh, uh, non-fully aligned alignments. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a huge need there. I mean, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, we're, we're, we're walking on eggshells. <laughs> yeah. That NIST was pushing along, I mean, over the last few years and, and so on, uh, as to methodology. I don't, I mean, uh, it's what the experiment, experiment. We'll never know if we don't do it. You know, 
one observation is that certainly in, in natural language processing in the last 20 years, the, the strides have just been unbelievable. I mean, the, the, the kinds of uh, scores we're now getting in information extraction exercises and some of the, you know, some of the government and uh, community of practice sponsored tests that have gone on. I mean, it's really phenomenal. But And that's come about through better algorithms and better understanding. And so what we've wanted to do is to provide a, a, a recognition framework. I mean, we're, we're never going to have 100% certainty on all of these assignments, and particularly in an open world construct. And so, uh, you know, how do we provide some degree of, of uh, provenance and trust metric that... Uh, you know, people can rely on, and, and we, f we feel like the way to do that is to make assignment to the methodology and to capture the, the score based on the methodology. And then if people have better methods moving forward, they'll, they'll derive them, and then those older methods will go by the wayside. But uh, how, that, how that replacement would take place, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of really open questions and I think a lot of discomfort, too, about getting into uh, anything other than binary choice type assignments. But we're, 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 we're venturing where no one has really ventured before. We're not quite sure how it's going to turn out. <laughs> Thank you. Back to Ken. Well, I, I think it's about time we, uh, we end the session. Uh, I... Uh, I'd like to thank both of our speakers. Those are really quite quite impressive talks, generated an awful lot of uh, interest, and uh, I think that's exactly the kind of uh, response we were hoping to achieve in this uh, in this new ontology showcase. Mm -hmm. So, um, once again, thank you. Thanks. Thank. Uh, I'd like to thank all of the participants, um, and uh, all of the. Adjourn the session. Thank you, Ken, Peter, thank and you, the speaker. Thanks, Ken. Thank you. And thanks, Mike Bergman, for your patience in uh, sitting through my questions and things. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Thanks a lot. Okay.